Today we will be starting uh, to learn Megillat Echa. And before we start the actual text of Echa, what I'd like to do is go through a brief introduction focusing on a few different things. First, lay out the historical context of Echa. Secondly, I'd like to discuss the uh, implications of Echa being a sefer entirely uh, uh, poetic. The entire sefer is made up of poems. There's no prose in Echa at all. Third, I'd like to go through some of the themes, introduce some of the themes that we will see throughout the Sefer. And fourth, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of uh, the Megillah. In terms of historical context, Echa uh, is written uh, clear, very clearly directly after the destruction of the Mikdash. Traditionally, we uh, we understand based on uh, on the uh, statements of the Hachamim that Echa was written by Yirmiyah Navi directly after the destruction. The Megillah is a set of poems which are his direct reaction to the destruction of the Mikdash and the annihilation of Yehuda. What we'll also see in terms of historical context is that there isn't really much history in Echa. Tzitkiyah and Yehoiachin, the kings uh, of the story uh, of the destruction, are never mentioned. Nebuchadnezzar is never mentioned. Even Bavel is never mentioned. From the standpoint of history, if you didn't know anything about what happened uh, in, in the events that led up to the destruction of the Mikdash and the events that happened after the destruction of the Mikdash, uh, you would not learn anything new from reading Megillah Techa. But if you already know the history of what happened, then it's very clear that most of the book, certainly Prakim Aleph, Bet, Gimel, and Dalid, most of the book is written as a direct response, a direct reaction to the events of the destruction. Pirek He, as we will see, is a little bit different. It's written from the standpoint of Yirmiyah living in Eretz Yehuda years after the destruction as a survivor that is uh, a, a current dweller in Yehuda many years after the destruction, or at least long enough to have taken it in and, and have a, uh, a slightly different reaction than he has in the first four Pedakim. But the first four Pedakim are a, uh, a direct response to the destruction. And the responses, as we will see, take uh, a few different forms. They are mostly the emotional uh, state that the Mekonen, that the, the writer is in, as he sees the destruction of Yehuda, that state uh, varies from mournful to angry to despondent to even at times we see a few rays of hope in the uh, in Yirmiyaz uh, addressing Hakadosh Baruch Hu directly, or at least asking that Hakadosh Baruch Hu see the situation that Yehuda is in and perhaps save them. I want to talk a little bit about the poetry of Echa, and in this I want to say that I am indebted uh, to Dr. Yael Ziegler, uh, whose shiur, actually a Tanakh study shiur, I, uh, I heard, uh, uh, she gave a shiur on the structure of Megillat Echa and spoke a lot about the poetry and, uh, and structure of Echa, and I will be drawing a lot upon uh, what I heard in, uh, in that shiur for my discussions in the following minutes on the poetry and structure of Echa. Now, it's important to understand that uh, Sefer Echa is a book of poetry. It's not a book of prose. When something is written in prose, it's meant to 
tell a story, tell you what happened, uh, what were the events in a particular sequence. When something is written in poetry, it is uh, more often meant to evoke certain emotions. It is meant to explain to the audience how the person who wrote the poetry feels, and in the case of Echa, it is also supposed to convey those emotions to the audience listening to the poetry. Now, there are multiple aspects to the poetry of Echa. The first aspect is that it is written in a meter that is unbalanced, whereas the meter in typical uh, uh, poetry across Tanakh is more balanced. For example, in Shirat HaAzinu, we would have Ha'azinu ha'shamayim va'adabera, three syllables. Ve'tishma' ha'aretz imrefi, three syllables. Echa is purposely unbalanced. So the, the first pasuk, for example, will have three syllables, three syllables, and then the last, uh, the, the, the third part of it will be two syllables. Echa yasheba badad, ha'ir rabbat i'am, ha'yetaka'almana. And in fact, about 50% of the book is written in this purposely unbalanced meter. And at least one explanation for why the uh, the meter of the sefer is uh, is this way is because it is meant to convey imbalance. It is meant to convey that the situation after the destruction of the mikdash is not the same as before. Everything, the entire world, so to speak, is off kilter. A second aspect of the poetry of Echa is the uh, is the imagery and metaphors that uh, come along with poetry, and you can sort of divide these into uh, macro metaphors and micro uh, micro metaphors. A macro metaphor, for example, would be that throughout the first two perakim, in particular, uh, the city of Yerushalayim is compared to various different types of women. In the first pasuk, immediately we have She is a uh, she is a widow, and presumably she's either uh, widowed from Hakadosh Baruch Hu or she is widowed from her people. And we see multiple other uh, uh, metaphors of Yerushalayim as a woman. She is compared to an unfaithful wife. Uh, in this case, uh, she's unfaithful. The, the the nation was unfaithful to Hakadosh Baruch Hu by doing Avodah Zarah. So she's compared to an unfaithful wife. Frequently, she is also compared to a uh, woman who is the victim of abuse, particularly when it comes to the enemies of Yehuda, and uh, uh, and that sort of macro uh, uh, metaphors. The more micro metaphors are when the mikonen, when the when the author uh, compares a, a particular situation to a very graphic uh, uh, scene that the audience can imagine on uh, to themselves. For example, in the beginning of Perek Gimel, uh, we see the in the first uh, few pesukim. Sorry, in Perikbet, in the first few Pesukim, what we have is God is compared to a shepherd, and uh, over there, the shepherd almost turns on his flock, and we see the graphic imagery of the shepherd setting his weapons, his bow and arrow, and shooting at uh, the flock, which is uh, which is the metaphor for B'nai Israel. And so we have these sorts of uh, minor metaphors and images throughout the book that are meant to evoke certain strong responses from the audience. They're, they are either meant to evoke mourning or pity or anger uh, or despondency, and, and we'll see those throughout the Sefer. The final aspect of, uh, of poetry that I wanted to discuss in Echa is, uh, is point of view, and that is that the author of Echa, uh, Yirmiya, 
uh, takes, so to speak, poetic license in presenting the different speeches of Echa from varying points of view. And there are, as we go through the book, we'll see four major different points of view. The first is the sort of third-party observer, in which uh, in which much of Perek Aleph and Perek Bet, uh, as well as uh, Perek Dalid and He, are written in. Uh, the second point of view is Yerushalayim's point of view. The city herself speaks in first person, explaining her own uh, despondency and anguish. And we see a lot of that at the end of Perek Aleph. The third is the singular first person and his reaction to the destruction. And that is, we'll see in uh, most of Perek Gimel. And the final is sort of uh, the royal we, where Yirmiyahu is speaking on behalf of the entire people of Yehuda, and we see a little bit of that at the end of Perik, uh, the ends of Perik Dalid and Perik He. And the reason point of view is important is because each different point of view brings the audience a slightly different perspective on the matter, and as the audience, we are probably supposed to, uh, we, the, the, the different points of view are meant to evoke various different emotions uh, in our own reaction to uh, what Yirmiya is telling us. I'd like to talk a little bit about the structure of Echa, and the first aspect of the structure of Echa that I'd like to discuss is the acrostic structure. And as we will see, Prakim Aleph through Dalid are all written in an acrostic structure in the order of the Aleph Bet. The first, second, and fourth Perek are all 22 Pesukim, each Pasuk uh, representing a letter. All the letters are represented. The third Perek has 66 Pesukim, a multiple of uh, a, a 22 multiplied by 3, and that Perek is actually structured as a triple acrostic, so there are three Pesukim each uh, 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 pertaining to each of the different letters. The fifth Perek is not in an acrostic form, and we'll discuss that when we get there. But I wanted to suggest, uh, as Dr. Ziegler discusses in her Shirud, what the acrostic stands for. And the acrostic, in general, can be understood as signaling totality. And a good example of this uh, uh, is the vidui, for example, which we say on, on Yom Kippur. We say it in an acrostic structure. And of course, there's no way for us to enumerate all the different sins that uh, we committed over the course of the year in the Bidui, and what the acrostic structure is meant to symbolize there is that we are telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we are admitting the totality of our sins. Similarly, in Megillat Echa, it is impossible for Yirmiyah to convey the totality of the mourning and grief in the wake of the destruction of the Mikdash and of Yehuda. And so what the acrostic structure does here is indicate that Yirmiyah is at least trying to incorporate the totality of destruction uh, and, and despondency that he is uh, that he is feeling when he is writing these pesukim. Just on the side note, in terms of structure, we'll also find that the five different perakim of Echa can, in theory, be separated into uh, five different poems. They each have a sort of a different story to tell, a different theme for each one of. Uh, the Perakim, and so they come together, and we'll talk a little bit in a second uh, from a thematic perspective how they come together, but they come together to form the Sefer of Echa, but they are uh, on their own, and we will learn them as such, different, uh, each of them are different poems that can also stand on their own. 
finally, I, I want to address the uh, the overarching themes that we see in Megillat Echa, uh, and these are, or at least uh, I would like to point to three major themes. The first one is utter grief and suffering and despondency, and we'll see this throughout the Sefer. There is, at the end of the day, at the end of the Sefer, there is no comfort. There is no answer to the question of how did this all happen and what is the solution quote-unquote, of, uh, of, uh, to the problem of the Galut. That may come in later Sefarim, uh, chronologically later Sefarim in Tanakh, but it does not come in Echa. Echa is uh, first and foremost, and also at the end of the day, it is a book of suffering, and even uh, even towards the end of the Sefer, as we will see, the last Pasuk, the second to last Pasuk, uh, says, you know, says, Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Venashuva, and the response is the last pasuk, which is ki maos me'astanu katsafta alenu ad me'od. There is no answer to the despondency and suffering and mourning of Echa. That's that's the the first sort of overarching theme uh, of the book. The other two that I wanted to discuss sort of play off of that first theme, and the first is. Uh, what I guess can be called and has been called by uh, by many others before me as the uh, theology of mourning. And we see this in partic- particular a little bit in the first pedic, uh very much throughout the third pedic, and we also see it in the last pedic, and that is a justification of the events of the Hurban. And what a justification means is an acceptance that God is just, that everything that happens, happens for a reason, that uh, in a large part the reason why the Qurban happened was because of the sins of the people, and indeed uh, the continuation of the process is to repent for the sins, and eventually uh, God will accept the repentance of uh, those who admit that they did something wrong. In general, you could label this theme as cosmic justice. Everything happens for a reason. God presides over the world, and everything that God does is just, even though we may not necessarily know the reason why he does the things that he does. That's on the one hand, and that's stressed in Perek Aleph, in Perek Gimel, in Perek He. On the other hand, uh, what's stressed in Perek Bet and Perek Dalet, uh, the, the flip side to the acknowledgement, the calm acknowledgement that God is just, is anger. And we see this throughout Perek Bet and Perek Dalet, and that is anger at God, anger at the situation, anger that God does not respond to the Mekonen, and essentially a total inability to grasp uh, the current situation, to explain it, uh, or to justify it. Uh, the, the theme that comes across is just uh, sheer anger and a little bit of despondency with that anger. Now, what you get when you combine the three themes together is the overarching despondency and suffering and mourning of the entire Sefer, and then the two different ways that one can react to suffering and mourning. And this is not exclusive to the Hurban, it's, uh, it can be generalized to suffering and mourning uh, w- that happens to anybody at any point in time. That's n- inexplicable. And the two responses to that suffer- to suffering and mourning are, on the one hand, that God is just, and on the other hand, anger. And what the book of Echan, putting these two themes together with the suffering, is saying is that both 
both uh, reactions are understandable, both reactions are necessary, and uh, in the complexity of the real world, what happens uh, when there is uh, grave and deep suffering that cannot be explained is that there is there is this dialectic of reaction, this two-sided reaction of trying to accept with equanimity that everything is just on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, anger at the situation, despondency at the situation, uh, a total inability to uh, really explain and deal with uh, whatever the event is. And so uh, all these three themes will be uh, playing off of each other in the entire book, and uh, we'll discuss them uh, as as we come across them.